Welcome back to System Trivia. This is Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Ben. With us, we have... Jason Scott. Wonderful. If you are not familiar with who Jason Scott is... You must be living under a rock. Yeah, well, no, not everyone, you know, follows this kind of stuff, so we gotta, like, we gotta consider that. But he is primarily, I would say he's the proprietor and curator of uh, textfiles.com, and then he also does stuff for the Internet Archive. But you do a little bit of everything these days. Uh, you do a lot of speaking and, and all sorts of really wonderful, interesting stuff. But as it relates to us, you know, with we're mostly sysadmins and systems engineers and stuff like that. So we obviously have an interest in that that hardcore technical kind of historical aspect of it. Oh, you know, I was a professional sysadmin from 1997 to 2009. That was my day job. Oh, oh no kidding. And I and and I get the thousand yard stare. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. One of my yeah, favorite aspects <laughs> of my modern life is I will start to kind of go down some sort of awful vortex where I'm working with a perfectly fine, great dev and sysadmin at the Internet Archive, which has its own unique aspects. And I'll suddenly be like, oh, what do I need to do here? And they're like, oh, you got to put this cert in. And then you got to. And I'm like, no, I want nothing to do with this crap. Make it go up. I am such a friggin' port snap. The, the, the place is running off Ubuntu and I'll just be like, just, just crap can the whole thing and just reboot from scratch. <laughs> I will well, reboot. You, you paid in, your dues at that point. You're just I like, will, nope, nope, yeah, no, no more. I, I will reboot in anger, like my machine. I'm like, you're not working. Goodbye. Screw, <laughs> screw up time. You know, I, I had forty minutes uptime. Get it. Yeah, exactly. And and, I, and I'm just like, <laughs> screw it. If I can't do three commands and keep it up, and I used to be so concerned, right? Mm-hmm. You know, 1997 up through i mean i'm there for the beginning of virtual servers but it, previously it's just a series of sparks a lot of spark workstations i was running freebsd at home still run freebsd for textfiles.com and i had to learn all that garbage right yeah. like i had to learn what's going to be like the newest updates in terms of Solaris disk monitoring and where am I going to install this new pram update and I cared I cared mm. and it's so nice not to care anymore <laughs> but, I'll, but I'll talk about it I'll talk yeah, about well, it well yeah I Oh man! See, and that's the thing. Like, we're gonna have to have you on at least five times to get all these interesting <laughs> stuff. But that is perfectly allowed, and I understand. That's true. Um, we do have some couple segments we need to get through first. Uh, Peyton, run no, through the news no. real quick for us. What? Why? Why? No. What? No. what? Oh! Oh my gosh! All right, you are so Jason, terrible. Yes, I, I don't know if you drink. If you're a drinker, if not, that's okay. We don't want to pass any judgment. If you are. Are you drinking anything currently? Uh, I have never had alcohol. Wonderful. That's that's interesting. Um, I, want, I would I want love the, to hear that story, I want too, the but... silence of the grave. I want everyone looking at each other like, 
okay. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's that's cool, man. That's that's whatever. We have a tradition where we would typically drink while broadcasting. Oh, um, and then well, some people that's, do that's that. That's why that's why the guys were yelling at me because I forgot to go into what we were drinking. Which mm-hmm. well, yes, you did. You well, said. I'm drinking chai and water, and of course Jefferson bourbon. Um, I'm that's taking a, a sip weird of that combination of things. Look, I'm, I'm keeping really hydrated, all right? I'm trying to keep my hydration going. Caden, go. go. <laughs> uh, I'm actually not drinking anything tonight. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I'm a little lame. lame. What can I say? Well, nope, nope, you're not lame. Some people don't drink, including Jason Scott, there and that's go. okay. <laughs> there you, you know, go. You know, you that say that, but actually I am currently on five-hour energy apple pie flavor. That's I was not aware that's a thing. Disgusting. Is it bad? It is. It is disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is, there are few indications that you've made a wrong turn in your life <laughs> than, than drinking a caffeinated liquid apple pie. Yeah. Um, yeah. so you know what you've done, you know what you've done to yourself, but it does at least ensure that after a rather long day that involved a hundred miles of driving, I, I didn't, I didn't end up missing out with you guys or anything. So yeah, it's well, fine. We, we, we appreciate it. So technically, I am on performance-enhancing drugs, <laughs> and they're disgusting, and they're disgusting. Oh, no, it yeah. no this is why I'm never going to enter the, 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 the podcaster hall of fame, is because mm. there's going to be an asterisk next to my name, because he was always on performance-enhancing <laughs> stuff. Do you, do you remember the Olympics one year when it was uh, it was a Winter Olympics, and it was, an ex, uh, it was a snowboarder, and he was caught with marijuana, and they said that it was a performance-enhancing drug? Wasn't it? Yeah, well, I believe it was. Yeah. But they, they, they were trying to say that was a performance-enhancing drug, right. and it's like, um, not not really, no. I, I remember that was, I want to say it was 2006. Okay. It this is great. I'm trying to keep us moving because oh no, that is my soul. Oh, no we're, not, we're not moving. We're not moving. The, the truck is literally on fire, and you Jay-thon. can see the lights going from from red to yellow to green, and the truck is on fire. It's just, it's, just burning. It just does the thing where it doesn't move, but it just kind of goes kachunk and then falls down about six inches. Amazing. The, the, the announcers are, are, are vamping about like the, the announcers are vamping about like advertisers and what's coming on later in the evening. So first of all, thanks for inviting me here to speak with y'all. No, 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 Jathan needs to tell us what he's drinking, and yes, then we can go into the news. Jathan. Special. So I had the very amazing opportunity to spend a long weekend in a Jeep driving through Colorado with Beaches, who is like a, a uh-huh. devout fan. and and I just yeah. lost the game, by the way. And associated oh, family. Um. I don't know who I'm allowed to call out or not or whatever. But anyway, uh, he brought me a bottle of whiskey to enjoy while recording the podcast while he came to Colorado. So this is... Uh, Can you hurry up, please? I'm sorry. This is special for <laughs> Beaches because we love him. Um, this is a hell of a name, too. So Wasman's, you're drinking Beaches. Moving on. Wasman's, uh Let's see. Rappahannock oh pot distilled non-chill filtered single malt whiskey. Why don't you just send me that in IRC so I can because type it up? There's, there's, there's nothing. There's, <laughs> there's no. There's no more satisfying feeling than drinking a description. Right? <laughs> Seriously. So, <laughs> if that's not that, I don't know if what you is. Have, if you have, if you can't keep your eyes closed and enjoy the drink, <laughs> if you have to be uh, reading why it's great, you've already think- lost. I think that definitely wins the most pretentious sounding drink award Ooh. for the of the entire of our entire series. 
Ooh. Oh All gosh. Right, well, anyway, uh, initial impression, oh, good stuff. Very distinct no, flavor. Oh. I'll tell I'll, you know what, Beaches. I'll talk to you about it personally because these guys just—they're uncultured. Yeah, we have no Brent interest. Drinks the same but... bourbon every week for it's oh true. years. It is true. So it's true. Uh, okay. Can so can you use a word that 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 references a sense that shouldn't apply to the drink? Like, <laughs> what is it? It's zesty. <laughs> Ethereal. Well, that could be like a real thing. No, it's uh, decisive. This is—it's. I would call it. Um, it's moist. It's sassy. It's a sassy. It's a moist, sassy, desultory endeavor. It's an endeavor sort of drink. It's a drink that says that you've. It's a drink that says that you've climbed Mount Everest, but you identify with the bodies that were on the side. It's the vegan that climbed Mount Everest. Oh Jesus! Oh my gosh! Okay, all right, all right, all right, Jason. No, 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 no. painted, painted. Other guy. Okay, Okay, this is painted with the news. So the first thing we have is we have a Chinese citizen engineer that stole tech secrets from a San Jose firm and then brought them to the Chinese firm that recruited him. So this guy's name is. Gyan, Gyanji Chen, who stole trade secrets worth a jury estimate $66 million. That's what they awarded uh, for this. He's a UCLA, UCLA PhD, and he was working for a company called LumiLeds, which makes LED lights. Uh, he was then recruited by Electech International, which is a publicly traded Chinese company. After being recruited by them and accepting you know, the offer, he left LumiLeds with uh, about... Um, Oh, I don't know, thousands of files with the aforementioned company secrets. Uh, he is now a VP at ETI, but they already had all the information he brought them already. So, you know, no big deal there, guys. The, uh, the federal case that they had was thrown out. Uh, they had filed that under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. That was thrown out in 2014. So a jury did uh, find, them, find him responsible for uh, their loss. Uh, the next thing we have is Oracle has been accused of defrauding its investors. The suit alleges that company executives lied to shareholders when they explained why cloud sales were growing. The lead investor uh, in the actual lawsuit itself, the City of Sunrise Firefighters Pension Fund, claimed Oracle used coercion and threats to sell its cloud computing products, which then created an unsustainable model. The fund, which is based in Florida, lost money when the stock plummeted in March after a disappointing earnings report. Oracle is trying to pivot to a more cloud-focused role. They fell 9.4% on March 20th. Next, we have... So, we talked about telecommuters a couple of episodes ago. Hitachi, mm. which is the second largest Japanese company at 300,000 employees. The largest is Toyota with 360,000. They are planning on boosting their telecommuting staff to 100K. So, they're going to do that over about two or three years. It's intended to reduce commute time and create a more flexible work environment. And uh, if you remember in the previous article that we talked about this, they said that it improved uh, work and uh, it's it's beneficial in the long run. Save some money, etc. Uh, next, we have a gentleman or a researcher, I should say. We don't want to assume their gender. That chained four bugs into uh, an RCE on the Amazon collaboration system. So, a security researcher going by Orange Psi, T-S-A-I, discovered a series of bugs that gave him the ability to perform the uh, aforementioned RCE. Uh, they were investigating Java on collaborate-corp.amazon.com, which was built using an open source project called Nuxio. He checked the POM, P-O-M.xml file, and then also checked if there were any outdated packages. Most of them were up to date, but one. 
Seam Framework. This is developed by JBoss and a division of Red Hat. Um, I've used JBoss and it sucks. I hate it. Uh, so there's four steps. I don't want to read those because they're kind of silly and I'd have to go into detail and read them. The fix, however, is that he reported the issue to the three people related to this. So he first re- reported the issue with Seam to JBoss in 2016. Now, this was done in 2018, but he did this. He reported the issue in 2016 to JBoss. They said that Seam is considered end of life and they refused to fix the issue. Amazon said, uh, isolated the server in, dis- in particular, discussed with him or her how to mitigate the issue and then listed every step in detail. And they said that they were fantastic to work with. And then Nuxio released a patch after being notified by Amazon. So from start to finish, it took from 10 March 2018 to 5 April 2018. That's great. Next thing we have is that a disgruntled hacker, and I hate that term, but hey, whatever, leaked the Snapchat iOS source code on GitHub. So developer Khalid Al-Shari discovered Snapchat's iOS source code using the Filza file browser on his jailbroken iPhone. He contacted uh, Snapchat support on Twitter, got a response, so he uploaded it publicly. The repo is now offline thanks to Snapchat's DMCA. He has threatened to leak more if they don't reward him or concede to his demands. <laughs> Wait, the source installs with the app? How did he get it from his phone? They apparently said that there was an update in May that exposed some parts of the source code. Oh. So the developers un- erroneously copied some functions into the app bundle. So well, there you go. Bad day. Next, we have a series of flaws in Microsoft Edge that gives access to local files. Uh, this has since been patched. Uh, however, it does also require social engineering. So this guy named Zia, Ziahan Albanez, a Netsperker researcher, said this involves same origin policy. I was going to read over that, but I don't really need to. Um, Edge works the same as other browsers regarding same origin policy. However, in this instance, users could be coerced to download a malicious file and then run it, which would then give them access to local files. Next, we have Taiwan's TSMC uh, has been dealing with a virus attack. Apparently, it's been uh, it's crippled their uh, production facilities. Um, they are claiming it's not from hackers. The virus forced a shutdown of production lines. Um, there are some reports of hackers being involved, and TSMC is one of the bigger producers of chips for Apple. Next, we have 200,000 routers in Brazil were hijacked to mine cryptocurrency. So they're mostly microticks. They have created a massive XMR mining botnet. The infected machines are using are being infected with CoinHive, which binds Monero. This allowed CoinHive to run on every single page visited by the exposed machines. And the attack is still ongoing. And our last bit of news we have here is that there is a new attack on WPA slash WPA PSK. It was discovered accidentally while looking for new ways to attack WPA3. Point that's the most relevant thing here is that a capture of a full EAPOL four-way handshake is not required, which greatly uh, reduces the amount of time. Is this just like WPA one? No, no, no. no it's WPA two. Okay. It's the it's the new stuff. No, it's so, not no. The new stuff. That's WPA. The new stuff is WPA three. This is for WPA PSK, which is WPA two. The point being, it's it's a lot more common than WPA three. I'll say that. And that's Payment of the News. Now, Jason, thank you for your patience during that. Yes. I <laughs> I learned a lot. I have, I have a list of questions, but knowing that you're a, a particularly verbose individual, which is good. I like detail. I like attention to detail. And, and 
so on and so forth. Yeah. I can tune this crap. Okay. I can tune this. I can do okay. it. Yeah, now I can bring it bring it up or down. I do have, you want to go through a lot of things five. quickly? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. I had I came up with five questions because Jathan yells at me if I don't come up with specific questions to ask people because That's right. <laughs> Well, there are people who you need a little prompting. That's you know, true. I yes. mean, you know, I've done something like 350 or 400 interviews in the course of documentaries, right? Oh no, I mean, like oh I've, I've conducted them. Oh, okay, yeah. No, I, I don't know how many I've done as a person, but the point is, is I've walked into rooms with people for whom I may be the only time they ever get interviewed about the thing they do and and what it always helps to do is to realize first that everybody has a story in them that they want to get out Mm -hmm. and also that a lot of people especially if you interview them about things from the past need prompting and a feeling of having been in that time and when i put out the raw interview footage a lot of people were like jesus jason just keeps talking about his own experiences but i'm like that's right. how you build common the, ground, yeah. Right, you, you, you start talking about like, oh man, I remember the fights I had on Fidonet over this, and the person will go, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 I had that yeah. too. And, and then you get this amazing story that kind of pops out. And of course, you always, always reach, <laughs> you always reach for the camera and t- turn it off mm-hmm. in quotes, mm-hmm. and then they come up with their incredible idea, and that's what you get, the great stuff right at the end. Because they're like, you know, the more I think about it, I hate this guy. Let me tell you why. (laughs) And it's fantastic. Right. So I I just stopped turning the camera off. I just leave it going for hours. Anyway, you're more than... You're more than encouraged to have had it. Can I ask a question really fast before we we get into the in-depth stuff? Why not ask a question before the question? Because that's different. Can I ask a question to ask a question to ask the question? Yeah, go ahead. You you already (laughs) asked a question. That's true. If you could ask a question. It's true. So first of all, I really enjoyed the talent show at Hope. And it was great that you hosted that. I think you were the best part of that, honestly. What I want to know, and and you've you've talked about this before at, at DEF CON, is how insane was it to be sued for two billion dollars? Sure, I just, I just have to know. I, I just, I just. Yeah, have this to is know interesting. That, so, uh, real like. quick, my coworkers, uh, by nature of our relationship, do not listen to our podcast, and I really appreciate them for that. And if they can hear this, they're definitely <laughs> violating the the terms of that agreement. But you know, I was telling them, oh, it's podcast night. You know, we're having Jason Scott on. They're like, oh, who the hell is Jason Scott? And you know. I don't a question I ask myself all the well, time. I, I guess I don't really know like what communities necessarily would know about you and would not. Like I would think that most people should know about you. But in any case, I was just like, oh well, you know, I think that he could be summarized in terms of his personality by this one talk, and that is the one that I now give people to listen to if they don't know who you are. So that was the two billion talk. Yeah, yeah. Which Brent and I also listened to while we were driving back from Hope. Yeah, yeah. He didn't know who you were, and I was like, "Oh, dude, well, I, I, dude, no, you I need know to- who he was." But I had never seen any talks. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, well I, that was the first it, uh, exposure I gave to him of you. But so the functional thing about that talk, which is called "That Awesome Time I Got Sued for Two Billion Dollars," we'll is it. that it first. One thing that really works out well for that talk was there were, there were these fire marshal problems at that particular DEF CON at the Riviera. And somewhere on like day two, the fire marshal started demanding that the rooms completely empty. Oh no. In between talks, <laughs> which when there's a thousand people, 
And the hallways weren't <laughs> built for this, but they were like, you have to fully, you can't have it that there's this froth of in and out. Now, in the interim years, they've come up with a way, you know, exit only exits, entrance only yeah. exits, and they flow people through. This is all, you know, was this like seven or eight years after this talk is given? But that was the first year <laughs> they made that incredible demand. Mm-hmm. So I sat there and I'm given one hour to talk. And by the time, the reason that the talk starts with like, okay, look, the beginning's about me. I'm going to start. The reason I sound kind of pissed, mm-hmm. kind of confused and kind of annoyed is because it's now 18 minutes into my hour. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Holy shit. So my talk. I think you do sort of mention that. Right. So my talk, which is supposed to be, you know, 40 minutes, mm-hmm. has already been sliced in half. And I'm I'm adaptable. I can deal with it. But I start talking really fast. And then they start on top of my working so hard to get through what's basically a fact-heavy talk yeah. uh, is – is that they're then giving me like you have ten minute signals, you have five minute signals. <laughs> Jesus. And the guy who did it, by the way, he's a buddy. Like we're we're pals. We know each other. Yeah. Um. So, but still, he's in his timekeeper mode, and so I'm cranked off about that as well. So the whole talk is super condensed, super fast. And full of bile because I'm not only am I kind of angry at, at the the guy, at the si- I'm angry the entire situation, yeah, at DefCon, yeah. And so there's a there's a snappiness to it that I didn't have before in a lot of my talks because a lot of my talks could go for like an hour and I could ramble in different directions. And- Given the topic, though, it, it it definitely helps, I think, because it's it's the the ludicrous. Yeah, the amount of, sure. of just absolute insanity surrounding that situation was was. Yeah, I do like you were kind of crass, and I felt like it it made it good. Not that it would have been bad otherwise, but you know, it worked. Yeah, the the ch- <laughs> the challenge. So at some point now, at this particular point in your podcast, people are going, "Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> And Most so, of our listeners probably know who you are already, but yeah. Go, yeah. So I, I don't mind being a rather focused celebrity. I'm famous in some places, but I can walk around my town, so it's okay. Sure. But, but one of the things that I'm known for is that um, when I was in my 20s, I thought, hey, whatever happened with all the bulletin board systems mm-hmm. of the 1980s, I'll go to what must be the site where we learn about it because by 1997, 98, I'm thinking everything's on the web. It's all online now. It's been five years. We, we have such a comprehensive bit of knowledge. I'll go look it up. And there was nothing like really nothing. And I thought, okay, well, geez, I collected all sorts of info from that time. I'm going to go back to my parents' house. I'm going to get my stacks of floppies. I'm going to put all that online. And, and I registered textfiles.com and I just put up 50,000 text files because I collected a lot of them mm-hmm. and, and I'd already done all these descriptions back then. And so this site kind of like whole cloth pops up on the internet like this, this, this just insane overnight, yeah. time capsule of an entire era and nobody is close to that. And so as a result, suddenly I get into a lot of people's faces because 
there's this <laughs> site that has all of these crazy files, these references. It's a compressed 20 years of data into like one site. And I don't limit it. There's no ads. And you're just suddenly faced with not just content, but underground content of like cracking, piracy, explosives, uh, quasi-suburban terrorism, all of these different weird aspects of that time. And so suddenly my star starts to rise as, oh, geez, this this guy does old things. And then I had already been a pretty good public speaker. And then after textfiles.com started up, uh, I was like, well, no harm in going to these conventions now since I'm on the lists. So, okay. <laughs> so I start talking at like tons of conferences. And so suddenly people know me as a public speaker who does this weird dynamic <laughs> way of talking. And then I made it even worse because I decided, man, nobody's really done a documentary and I have a film degree. So I'm going to spend five years and I'm going to make like the most comprehensive BBS documentary there ever could be. And so suddenly I'm now, you know, I'm meeting all of my old heroes of the 1980s, people who are just names in my mind of like, oh, he invented X modem, Z modem. Oh, here's the guy who made this kind of BBS program. And, yeah. and suddenly I'm in that realm. And so like everything kind of like combined up into, wow, this guy is, you know, really into this old stuff. And people were like, do you want my old stuff? Because obviously you care about it. And I said, okay. And mm -hmm. ultimately I left my, well, I was fired from my job as a sysadmin, but in, in, in the lightest, like I knew I was doomed. The, uh, <laughs> like, right. No, you can, the, you can feel it coming sometimes. Yeah. Well, the industry had changed. Like I was making six figures as a sysadmin and that, that wasn't going to last. Mm -hmm. But I had, I had just happened to have a company travel up through like five buyouts and I was making good money. But the company that bought us, I knew I was already mm. making three times what a manager made at this new leaner company. So it was just a matter of time before they were like, because of blank made up thing, get out. And when they did it, I got out. Didn't want to go back into sysadmitting. I'd much rather, you know, drink a broken fish tank full of motor oil. <laughs> um, and so an opportunity came up where I got to work at the Internet Archive. And it was such a perfect pairing and has been for the last seven years that unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, some people think that, like, I founded the Internet Archive. Some people think... That I run it, you know, I mean, like, there's mm. like a lot of that because I have a much more public facing, like the people who run the Internet Archive and the founder, Brewster Kale, they have spent years of their lives on this thing. Yeah. But I'm really good at getting attention. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah. I always have to be careful because I'll upload something like tonight. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll be everywhere. It may take off or it won't take off, but somebody sent me an internal DVD of the Yahoo 10-year anniversary party from 2005. Oh, oh wow. wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> so I've uploaded it. It's been derived. Oh, it's wow. a bunch of dumb movies. Mm -hmm. I'm about to take an extra couple seconds to look through the movies and describe them so that the metadata is good. Yeah. And then that's basically Reddit or Google Juice or Twitter Juice, right? Sure. 
Yep. And so I know that will get some attention, but it wouldn't have occurred to anybody two days ago of like, you know what I need to see? I need to see Yahoo uh, uh, <laughs> patting themselves on the back that they're so awesome. <laughs> and, and so that's going to make some noise yeah. and it'll. Yeah. yeah. So like it's that all day, like I'm going to work on that. So. So anyway, now people who are listening are like, okay, so this guy's kind of bounced around in archiving and filmmaking and public mm-hmm. speaking. And that's kind of where I am. And, and if I had a talent, I would say my talent is I can bridge the geek and general interest world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say in so. In terms of archiving, librarianship, uh, uh, software preservation. Although I must stress mm-hmm. that with very little formal training in some of these areas, I eclipse people who are much more qualified. And I have worked harder and harder in later years to make it clear to people that like, <laughs> I'm kind of like Neil deGrasse Tyson or Bill Nye in <laughs> yeah. terms of like, yeah, I mean, I, you're, you're I know some things, but you're, you're not necessarily. Yeah. Like yeah. I, I know, I know the stuff and I'm comfortable talking about it. But there can be this very uncomfortable feeling of like, some people slip me stuff because they're not particularly comfortable. Like the guy who slipped me this Yahoo disk, he's a yeah. little, little worried. And so I've been stripping the EXIF data out and, sure, and just making sure. it so that it's not there, right? Right. But some people are going to go think that like I cat burglared backwards into the closed <laughs> Yahoo building and stole one of these <laughs> off Jerry Yang's desk. And, in 2005, no less. Yeah, in 2005 or something. And it's going to be like, no, I, I actually don't have any. I'm just the front. Right. And so there is like just this unfortunate aspect to it. And, and it sounds like I'm humble bragging, but it's just a matter of realizing that it's celebrity is a very powerful tool, but it can also be a very destructive one. And I try to use it to bring light to things and people that just don't have that base. And I also try to use it to be where the buck stops when people are like saying, oh, someone should take a stand on this. And I'll be like, you're all morons. <laughs> like the guy who's doing this is a moron. And everyone's like, oh, actually, he is a moron. I'm glad mm. somebody spoke up and I'm whatever. <laughs> like I'll try to use it. I'll try to use it positively. But I mean, it's not not guaranteed. I mean, yeah, yeah, you're, you're human just as, as much as the next guy is, of course. So I've got a lot of infuriated librarians, <laughs> for instance, because, Aww. you know, I wear very, I wear a very loud outfits with top hats when I do public sure. speaking. And, sure. and I have these like, li- and, and librarian and archives is a primarily female industry, but yet one of the most prominent voices of libraries and archiving is a bearded, older, goatee or long bearded uh, uh top hat wearing guy mm. and i respect the infuriation that it took me sometimes coming along saying something that's been echoing for 20 years mm. and everyone acts like i came up with it at my desk 30 minutes ago and i'm the the mozart <laughs> And it's just, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, this is part of what I'm trying to do with the rest of my life is always make sure that I bring attention to all these things that I care about, which we can discuss, but also recognize that I'm standing on the shoulders of a lot of people. Yeah. So, yeah. all right. So let's go back to this asshole, Paul Andrew Mitchell, <laughs> yes. also known as Mitch Modaleski. Now, yes. textfiles.com 
was like, I don't know, like a gigabyte of text from a whole bunch of sources. And among it was the full contents of the Loft Archives, uh, also known as uh, Black Crawling Systems. And in there was a book. And there was a guy who had like put the book out for free. And he had said, if you find value in my book, uh, send me, I think it was like $20. And because the book is objectively valueless it's garbage well yeah i i hate to i hate to jump ahead you know but like the guy was basically what what did they call him a, a freeman freeman citizen here's okay so here's the thing yeah so he first came into my life threatening me in 1996 mm-hmm. and the lawsuit happened in about 2008 jesus <laughs> Wow. And so, wow. here's the thing. In today's era, yeah. all I have to say is, oh, yeah, I was hounded mercilessly by a sovereign citizen. Yeah, and sovereign citizen, <laughs> that's the fucking... And people will go, <laughs> oh, well, 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 Jesus Christ, yeah, sorry, man. Um, oh, of course, yeah, no, those, those, those sovereign citizens are beyond that belief. insane, yeah. Well, at the time, there's no language yeah. for this. Yeah, that's There's true. just... Wow, this guy seems to write a lot of legal-sounding things. He seems to claim a lot. He writes everything in a vernacular that sounds like he's a full-on lawyer. He he uses all these terms, and and so people people uh, the part I always try to get across, and the only part of it that I think is the teaching moment mm-hmm. is throughout the time I'm being hounded for some period, I am kind of alone. And I'm being threatened and, and so on. Now, I had been sued by an employer in 2000, so I'd been through the court system. Um, I was I was used to at least some of the aspects of being sued in, in the same way you might be used to having a, a seizure or a, a, an injury yeah, as an yeah, right. athlete. Like, I knew it. I don't want it, but I knew it. I, <laughs> right. I, I wasn't completely floored. But on the other hand... A guy like this playing the system could be a thorn in your side for years. And he was. Yeah. And so indeed. his fundamental position was that making his useless book available, <laughs> making his useless book available after he had, quote unquote, told the internet not to carry it anymore, that he had withdrawn it, <laughs> meant that he was kind of, initially, he just wanted money, like give us $20. You know, $20. But over time, he started to come up with this idea of suing AOL, and a few people had <laughs> kind of done the same, like they had gotten damages from AOL. Yeah, yeah. Because AOL's a deep pocket, and, and so there's like some, some real actual, like Harlan Ellison had sued successfully, oh, wow. a couple authors had sued successfully, and so I think he was kind of like moving towards that, but then he started to kind of make up numbers Mm-hmm. Like, he could, like, bullshit his way through most of this law. But then he would, like, come up with these numbers. You know how it is, like, in, like, a lot of parts of life, you could see people kind of, like, work themselves up into, like, a danger. Yes. <clears throat> and then yep. a guy who kind of knows their thing or a gal who knows their thing listens to it and goes, like, oh, so Asav sits inventing uh, damages. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, screw that guy. Like, as soon as they say it, it deflates it. But until then, a person is walking around thinking... I'm in real trouble. I'm, I'm in danger. And, and as soon as you talk to a person and I've always, I've tried to be that for other people, people mm-hmm. come to me and they're like, Oh no, what about this? And I'll be like, Pfft. and, and that really helps them like mm-hmm. to have somebody be like, 
oh no, I, I've given you this old piece of history. I don't want to be sued by Atari. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, look, dude, if Atari sues anybody, it's going to be me. And I'll give your name up right after both of us are dead. Yeah. And and they're like, okay. And and I mean, and this will be nervousness over a game that was never released 20 yeah, years yeah. ago that was done in some other way. Like, I get it. Well, in the same way, once I got a real lawyer involved and there was somebody who offered to pay, uh, and I'll, I'll say his um, name forever. His name was, uh, uh, Vincent, Vinny Bono. Uh, and he had worked for another company and had gotten me a lawyer named Lucy Lovrian and she had beaten this other lawsuit. That's what he paid for $20,000 mm-hmm. for me to beat down that lawsuit. <clears throat> we stayed buddies and every once in a while I'd mention something to her and she'd go, <laughs> and so she did that with this. And when he finally sued us all for, what ultimately was $2 billion. Mm-hmm. There were 10 defendants and four of them had lawyers and I didn't feel I had to hire a lawyer. Right. <laughs> well, if, I mean, if, if Paul Andrew Mitchell was, was acting as a, what was it? Like the, the Marshall attorney of, it was some bullshit, like, like corner case name where he was acting un- under himself as. I, f- I find this all very funny because, of course, I know all of this by heart. And right, I'm really sorry right. I do. <laughs> like, I could have used... We're I sorry you do, too. I could have <laughs> used this to have the memory of the, the first piano recital of the child I never had. <laughs> like, that would have been nice. I would have used that neuron for that. Of like, oh, she's playing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. It's her first time. But instead, I can tell you that he called himself a private attorney general. There you go. Yes, that's what it was. Private attorney general, yes. Private attorney uh, general. How do you put those together to make right? this title? It sort of is. Really well, doesn't it, exist. It's an actual, well, it, it sort of is, but the problem is, like, it's so obscure. As the talk said, as yeah. the talk said, so one of the things that's changed again is a you say sovsit and people go oh yeah sovereign mm-hmm. citizen screw mm-hmm. those guys. Another one is now that conspiracy theory is big money in the huge content uh, starvation of 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 the of the two thousand tens. This guy gets people to put him on their show because he'll talk for three oh, no. hours like a normal human being. So, whereas before, he was always kind of a ghostly figure, um, <laughs> paulandrewmitchell.com, which is the site I have about him, has like three hours of him talking to some credulous dumbass who I'm sure doesn't believe a word of what he's saying, Sure, who's just like, well, tell me more about your interpretation about how the Supreme Court once ruled this in 1855 that these flags and so here's the thing i i love so mm. the one thing i do love in all of this was um <clears throat> let's see so i think the talk i gave what's that like 2009 or 10 anyway in a couple years after that he was temporarily committed to a to a medical facility mm-hmm and he was, you know, against his will. He was committed yes. against his will for about, I think, eight or nine months. And uh, eh, people made noise about all oh, political prisoner, whatever. But the committance, the 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 document that commits him is a, is a work of art. It's the greatest work of art um, because what it is is it's a judge basically committing him, saying, you know, Mr. Mitchell, we're going to put Mr. Mitchell into a into a home. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while because he's 
So on my site, it's it's called, um, I said, in which the U.S. <laughs> government gives Paul Mitchell a free vacation. Um, and it's the order on competency hearing for Mitchell Paul Medaleski, a.k.a. Paul Andrew Mitchell. And it's written in this beautiful, cold style. So it's like the ultimate revenge because it's the same <laughs> garbage it's the same. that he puts forward with. Yeah. I'm going to very quickly read two paragraphs Wonderful. because in my voice. To provide further explanation, it appears Mitchell's planned legal defense is based on his unwavering delusion that all (laughs) government officials he deals with, from the U.S. attorney and his assistant U.S. attorneys, the judge, the clerk, the deputy clerk, judicial staff, etc., all lack the authority of their duly appointed offices because these government officials, this judge included, either will not provide to him some proper form of credential he believes we all lack, and because he further believes all forms and credentials he might ever receive are counterfeit. Dr. Lowe's report indicates the investigative reports show Mitchell has been sending letters to federal judges nationwide demanding proof of credentials since 1998. <laughs> Those reports further show that Mitchell has been deemed a mass mailer by the Threat Management Center. This and other conduct, which can be fairly characterized as a national campaign to expose imposters posing as government officials based on missing credentials, this appears to be a result of the defendant holding very extreme and rigid views about the law and the overarching significance of seals, signatures, and control numbers. Last part, while Mitchell's thought processes are linear, clear, and coherent on these points, they are fraught with delusional content. Further, he appears convinced that only his view of the law is correct, and it appears unlikely he will ever consider alternate viewpoints as opinions as long as he remains in this acute episodes. Wow. It goes on for like another two, and it basically says... Put him in a home. So so he sits in a home for about eight about eight that months. Is, that is the judge's equivalent of a mic drop. I've never heard judge use language like that. He right. had to have been beyond pissed off at that point. He Sorry, is keep so, going. He is so he's punched had, he's out. He's had it. He's done. Yeah. Mitchell's rigid view of the law, his unwillingness to consider alternate views of opinions, his grandiose sense of his own self-importance, <laughs> and his resulting arrogant and haughty attitude further undermine Mitchell's ability to either fairly and adequately represent himself in this case or to assist counsel. (laughs) And so they just declare him mentally incompetent. (laughs) Oh, man. So off he went, and I put this up on the archive. Mm -hmm. So it's there, of course. And public record, um, yeah. and, And it's a beautiful piece of work. It was sent to me by a few people. And... When he came out, of course, mm-hmm. you know, people were like, oh, political prisoner, this hero. So he's out there right now involved in some case in the middle of nowhere uh, where he is like basically, uh, let's not call it behind the scenes because they've mentioned him several times. He's basically harassing some town to death now. <laughs> like he, oh like he's on his, he's doing it, right? I mean, that's what he does. Yeah. It is what he does. And so he was in my life for a little bit. I'm concerned at this point your audience has gone, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> no, they're, I mean, they, they're used to the... But I think, I think what's important here is that it's in, in its greater context, 
um, that's an example of like the kind of like combination of like both these files I was hosting plus the way that they interact with like the real world the way the world is changing and the fact that I wanted to get the message out to a large amount of people the the, the much more important bigger lesson which is like I said in the talk don't go it alone don't feel mm-hmm. like just because somebody is acting towards you in a certain way that that's both rational and it's your fault sometimes there's just and and I mean, and it can be much more minor. This guy was like a, you know, he's a he's basically a, a, he's a highway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a cartoon villain. But there are other people for whom they're just like, yeah, I I think that your use of this music bed constitutes intense damages, and and mm-hmm. I think that you owe me a half million dollars per whatever. And the person's like, oh god, oh god. <laughs> and I had a I had a story <laughs> of a woman who I care about I cared about her very much I still care about her mm. um, but she was drawing um, people on dragons okay and uh, like fan art fan yeah, art yeah. putting it up on her website no, it, it makes tons of money and, all, and all Anne McCaffrey's Anne McCaffrey's son sent legal uh, notice to her saying essentially we own the idea of people doing dragons and th- uh. these are violations and she literally burned all of her art. Oh, because no. She, no. she was so scared from what he had said. Like, he sent what to us would be like, oh, yeah, good lawyer letter. Cute. But mm. but to her, she destroyed all the work she had done because she was so afraid of losing the home and they had a daughter and they yeah. didn't want her to. So, like, they were afraid. And, and she started a, a group. I don't think, I don't know if the group is still around, but at the time it was called Burned by Fandom. And it was just about, like, educating people that, like, oh, no, you can actually comment and do things and possibly even sell your work even though it's inspired by others and mm-hmm. you know don't don't it was called burned for fandom mm. and um it was a support group and i think i think it's since yeah it's i don't think it's around anymore cuz i think she worked through it okay but i think that's a case and so for me the more information that gets out there and that's kind of a theme in all the work i'm doing is the more things are out there the more we understand them Mm-hmm. If we keep things hidden away, they gain an unfortunate and terrible power over us. And we think that they are things that they are not. So anyway, that's, that's what I'm, so, so that talk has mm-hmm. had between its different copies about a million views. Um, so yeah, I'm known for that. I'm known for a couple other things. Uh, do you want to talk about sysadmining now? Uh, no, because we, we have, we, so we have plenty of sysadmins on and we talk about sysadmining all the time. This is like a nice break for us. Yeah, this is really fun. This is a very atypical conversation topic. I like it. I think I know our, our people yeah, will I, also they're, like they're a bunch of fucking geeks that they're going to eat the shit up. Of course. You know, they, they, yeah, they, this, we all this, love this. This is, this is honestly great. Well, for, for seven years, I was uh, on call 24 seven. I was the lead and I had a very small set of customers, you know, only about a dozen. But it brought in a lot of money at the time because it was some very specialized customers who had very specific expectations. And I knew the birthdays of all their kids. And oh, wow. I, I knew how to deal with different problems. And I had scripts to help specifically. And, and mm-hmm. they could make unreasonable demands because they were paying me well to do it. And right. it was it was a – I didn't mind being in service. I've always liked being in service. I, I don't like abusive customers. So one of the things mm-hmm. that the company that bought the company that bought the company that I was in uh, did was put me – when I had a customer 
who uh, they were bringing in about a million something a year and twice or three times the new company tried to fire me and the that com- that customer said if you fire Jason we will leave mm-hmm. and so for a while they couldn't do anything then that customer uh, had to leave themselves. They were actually given a cheaper environment to, to move to because it was in-house. And sure. I knew I was marked. And one of the first thing they did was put me on the worst customer. Oh, no. Like the one, the one that had driven dozens of people oh, away. Man. Yeah. That's the worst. And the company was, uh, Condé Nast. And, uh, <laughs> I, so for a short time, I was Wired's sysadmin and I was Reddit's. Sysadmin, although they had very little interest in interacting with Condé sure. Nast, but they were there. And and like a bunch of other similar big names. But, you know, I mean, being a sysadmin of a machine, it was like being the mechanic. I'm, it's like being a mechanic for a celebrity. I'm not the celebrity. I'm not riding with them. I just make sure the car runs. Mm-hmm. And so, but but they were, they're a mean company. Like their culture is very abusive sure. and in your face. And I had gone from knowing everyone's kids' birthdays to being called a worthless uh, scumbag to my face because I, they would literally have meetings where they would ask for something at the beginning of the meeting and for, and you know, 30 minutes into the meeting go, where are we on that? Yeah. And I would be like, I'm waiting for the meeting to end. And they were like, (laughs) they were literally livid that I hadn't automatically started on it. And, and so first they did that. They roughed me up, but I was still getting paid well. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they waited for the inevitable case where I responded some way that a customer there didn't like. Yeah. Like, he's like, where's this? And I said, <laughs> I don't know. And he's like, you don't know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I don't know. I, yeah. I, it's, it's six in the morning. I haven't <laughs> no, checked with my no. buddy. The guy, you know, the guy who you're talking about didn't pass that information to me at three in the morning when he went to bed. I've just gotten up. But I'll get it for you later today. And he wrote back this failure to communicate da, 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 to them. But I mean, you're literally just leaving somebody in a room with a rabid dog and then being surprised he gets bit, you know, anywhere between 30 to 70 minutes later. Right. It, you know, <laughs> it's not and it's not that company's fault. They were misled into thinking they were getting one kind of person when they were getting like a well on his way burnt out mm-hmm. person like I was done I was totally there for the paycheck yeah. and I was using it to fund archiving and trips to do documentaries. I, I had no, in, I wasn't excited mm. to come in in the morning to do patch upgrades. Yeah. I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't yeah. concerned that my training on Eudora was becoming <laughs> subpar. I, oh, you know, man. I, brings back memories. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, we had a, um, the customer itself, you know, these were sem- primarily, uh, they were running, Spark systems, and then we had some SUSE Linux stuff that was coming mm-hmm. in. Uh, we had a lot of DLT tapes. We had like a very specific system that had been built up over years, and mm-hmm. I tried to make it more refined. And th- like their machines crashed five different ways, and I wrote scripts that could just automatically run and fix the five ways. So mm-hmm. like my support calls weren't that bad by the end. But you know, I mean, like that was my life for 10 years and I realized I never wanted to do that again which was why I moved full time into doing history and archiving and everything else because I wake up every morning excited about what I'm going to get done and I go to bed going that was great and that's you know that's that's a great feeling it's in itself I 
I've just been involved in us kind of consolidating a few collections at the archive that had been sitting around, and there's now 500,000 podcast episodes in one place. I saw and, that. I, and I that's a lot of history, history. Yeah. right? That's a yeah, lot of absolutely. great, interesting history, and, and maybe there'll be analysis, and I'll probably have to write some cool scripts to kind of like come up with collections and, you know, like, it's exciting. It's exciting to be a part of that. And as people are working on things like podcast histories and stuff, it's very helpful to have hundreds of thousands and years of audio to be able to go back on and say, well, here you go. Here's the citation for that. Here's this early interview with this guy where he talks about the thing that he later became famous for eight years later. And yeah, like, so like I was tempered in the fires of system administration. I learned some fundamental rules about <laughs> not always believing the customer, but mm -hmm. respecting the customer while yes. not believing them. Yes. Yeah. That's a good way of putting that. You know, and, and also understanding that at the end of the day, your biggest reward is indifference. <laughs> and, and, you know, I mean, and this is all like these fundamental, uh, beliefs that, you know, I kind of incorporate, which is, you know, I, I make it so that when the stuff is on archive.org, you don't have to go through me to get to them. And yeah. that people, even though they're getting stuff for free, have legitimate concern when you say, this is like this and it's not like they get worried because the narrative is the archive is forever. Yeah. And anything that waylays that belief should be addressed, even though to you, you're like, well, yeah, of course a machine went down. We're rebooting it, but they're like, no, it's gone. And you're like, okay, it's not their fault. They, mm. they've been told that we've got, you know, like we made a very specific decision at the archive. We, we don't have any cooled systems. We have basically uh, a negative airflow that sucks the heat away from the machines in the church building. Okay. And That's it's cool. used to heat the building. Well, it does mean that if like the temperature, the ambient temperature of California goes up past like, I think it's like 98 or 99, it starts to get too hot. And we do have a contingency where we go, okay, we just have to shut these machines down for mm. a while while it cools down. Like we made that choice because we said we're not going to spend $14 million yeah. to ensure 100% uptime. We use, you know, the total operating cost of the Internet Archive right now is $14 million a year, and that's everything. Mm. People, machines, Jesus. network, everything. And some people go, whoa, $14 million. But I'm like, oh, no, $14 million is like three really good Facebook parties. Yeah. But also, like, <laughs> the when you get into it, the amount of, of data that you store and the amount of work that goes into curating that and scraping that and, and all sorts of other stuff for, for you know, the Wayback Machine and for the actual media, it's astounding that it's only 14 mil. Right. And right now we have, uh, we just passed 50 petabytes of disk space, which is, wow. which is mirrored. So it's 100 petabytes, right? Yeah. Whoa. Congrats. That's, that's Holy amazing. Cow. And so, you know, and that's it is insane. And, mm -hmm. and it's funny because I have gone on these bombing runs. Like right now I'm on this, um, spam hunt because we've had some spam problems. Sure. And they let me loose on it. And I started going through, I said, well, the first problem is, is the open collections have really started to clog up with a lot of contributions and we haven't classified them. So I'm mm. going to start classifying them just to get the numbers down. So there's, there's like, Five million items that are in there. Now, I've moved out half a million in the past month to different things, but I'll stumble on this collection. I tell people it's like Willy Wonka's factory. Like, <laughs> I was like, hey, let me go find every time someone uses the word sermon and Jesus 
for an MP3 that's been uploaded. And I bet you I can find all the sermons. And we have a sermon section. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do that cool. and I'm going to move them all to the sermon section. And that's how I found out in just the open collection, we had 80,000 sermons. Whoa. Like that's a Whoa. lot of sermons. And, and so the same thing with the podcast, but I'll also find like, like I've got scripts that go through and find every time somebody uploads an ISO with a cover. So that goes into a collection or mm-hmm. people are uploading zines. There are people who are uploading zines by the thousand. Like when I start to say the numbers, you go, Oh, like there's people who are very like, Oh, the Wayback Machine is cool. And I'm like, Yeah, it is. And then they're like, Yeah. And I heard you have some stuff, like some audio. And I'm like, Well, we are adding <laughs> <You have> lots. <laughs> well, we're currently archiving 11,000 hours of radio streams a day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Whoa. Well, that's just like, like, that's not even a number a human mind can comprehend. We're also recording 120 satellite television channels 24 seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're recording them to standard definition, but it'll at least be a record. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're doing that every day. And if you go to like tv.archive.org, you can actually do a new search of any time a word's been mentioned in closed captioning for the past nine years. That's it's very That's incredibly awesome. useful, right? Yeah. And, and it's yeah. there and free. And of course, the video games and the, um, the emulation and all that crap that I'm now known for, but <laughs> the fun stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're all very like when I was hired, Brewster, they now have a, a name for it. I think it's called Project Zero. Okay. And Project Zero cool. is like you join the archive and they give you a ridiculous thing that's on their mind. Um, I don't think it's meant to be a hazing ritual, but it can be. <laughs> and then a person uh-huh. tries to kind of implement that within the Internet Archive system. And th- that kind of like collides them with certain things we do because we're cheap asses and other things we do because we have so much of it. Like having worked under uh, – I mean, I'll look, I'll do it, dude. I'll turn anything into a theme. As per my <laughs> sysadmin skills mm-hmm. – I knew what resources were essentially free and what resources were priceless and never to be given. Sure. So at the archive, people are priceless. Like, yeah. it's very expensive. Yeah. Cause at the time they were still hiring a lot of California developers. So that's like a hundred plus grand just to keep people alive in, in friggin' California. This is why I work out of New York. So as a result, if I was to say, I need four of your finest people to add this thing, it'll happen the fifth of never. Right. But if I go, I got a set of volunteers or a script, and all I need is the ability to save things to disk and provide them over the network, I get to do whatever I want. So if I write a script that like uploads a thousand PDFs, that's great. Mm -hmm. If I ask for five people to scan things into PDF, I'm still in line and I've been there seven years. Mm -hmm. So just understanding the parameters and it's no knock against the archive. It's just to keep things at a certain rate. They spend money very specific ways and there's very specific projects. As a result, like if we can stream, like people are out there generating content and people are out there creating collections and then they're kind of floating around and I'll grab and mirror those collections, put Mm -hmm. them up in the archive, make them easier to search for. Well, that's easy. And when I created the emularity, which is the name we use for the emulation system, that's because Brewster, my Project Zero when I joined was Brewster went, you know, we got movies and music and books and you can scan and read all of this uh, great content, but we're terrible with software. 
Uh-huh. Like, you know, you go there and it's a zip file. Right. Well, who cares? Right. Like, oh, here's the thing. It's called uh, fireworks.zip. What are you going to do? You're going to download it? You're going to boot it up to see mm-hmm. what's in it? <laughs> so I was like, oh. And he said, maybe you could set up something where we have a virtual machine running the software and you can connect into it. And I was like, yeah, but that won't scale and we're cheap. So why don't we, <laughs> why don't we uh, compile emulators into JavaScript mm-hmm. and then run them in the browser in a little computer? And people were like, well, that's not possible. <laughs> and then like three years later, here three we years are. later, it was entirely possible. Yeah. Seven years later, now we're putting all these things up. So like there's Apple twos and DOS programs and you and, and I have a program that goes through and plays them and mm. generates screenshots so you can see the screenshot of what'll come up if you click on it and it boots up this emulation and it's running in the browser and when when we announced that we had put like we first did computers because I knew that yeah. was relatively boring and I wanted to see how it went <laughs> then we moved to like home console games that got some attention some of it unfavorable mm. and mm. then we did arcade machines and I knew that we're weird about arcade machines. Like a lot of the classic arcade machines are like technologically not that stressing. Like mm-hmm. I think like, let me see, like Pac-Man has, I think like an eight color palette, maybe mm-hmm. 16. Like it's not a difficult thing to emulate, but when you put it up, it has such a magical power among a certain contingency of the, mm. the populace that I knew that it would go insane. So right. after having done emulation for about a year and a half, I upped the ante, put up the arcade, what became known as the Internet Arcade, and like three million people came to visit in one weekend. And we didn't Oof. crash, but we got on like Fox News and like mm-hmm. 50 uh, press outlets, and I was getting interviews and demands, and then... About anywhere from like four days to four weeks, various arcade companies showed up and were like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) Jesus goddamn Christ. Like they were like, some of them were just like, please take this down. But some of them were like, what the fuck? Like you just put up our entire title collection. For free. Wow. Yeah. And we were like, yeah. Wow. And they were just like, why are you so stupid? <laughs> like, a couple of them were just like, you know, like, just amused. Like a yeah. mob boss who, like, watched a guy stumble in right through where the guy's having dinner and demanding to be a capo. Slap the head or something. Yeah. yeah. And, and just being like, wow, that's cojones, buddy. <laughs> Right. And so, and so a bunch of them went down, but a bunch of them have gone up, stayed up all these years because apparently nobody was, is, uh, nobody's concerned about Mr. Do (laughs) or Qbert or Berserk. But they are concerned about Donkey Kong and Pac Man Mm. and Asteroids. And I've had great conversations with the Atari lawyer. She's nice. And I finally said, what do you guys own? And she was like, we own everything up to June 1984. Like the company, <laughs> the company that they are is kind of a complicated set oh, yeah. of circumstances. No, they've, they've gone through a lot of strange evolutionary takes. What it comes yeah. down to is there are two companies, Atari Games and Atari Incorporated. They split. One keeps making video games. One goes on to be the computer company. That's right. the one that's purchased by Jack Tremail. Uh, and becomes, you know, the Atari ST makers and, mm-hmm. and so on. Well, the Atari games 
goes on and gets purchased by Midway. And Midway purchases Williams. And then I think Hasbro, not Hasbro, another one purchases it. And then on the other end, that other company, Atari uh, Incorporated, gets dead and sold and purchased by like a German joystick maker and then sold his property and then was purchased by Infogrames. And so through all this, though, it's from that moment in June 1984 when one gets purchased and doesn't license to the other one anymore. That's why mm-hmm. you stop seeing like Area 51 or uh, uh, San Francisco Rush and so on. Like those don't transfer over. Whereas in the beginning, like Asteroids does. And anyway, that's why there's Asteroids casino machines, but there aren't San Francisco Rush casino machines because different companies so they couldn't stop me from putting up marble madness because marble madness is august 1984 Hmm. so oops and 720 and so on and on the other side there's somebody who could probably tell me to take it down but i'm fairly sure that now now a company sorry a group who mm-hmm. I won't name just because I don't think they want to be known. Um, they were, they're, they're, they're an educational academic institution. They did a thought experiment I would never do. I'd slice my own nuts off rather than do. <laughs> <laughs> they researched who owns like every major property. Oh my gosh. Tracked yeah. that, tracked down the company that owned it and said, Hey, what's your position? And to their, vague astoundment and which they of course will not publish which i wish they would there were a surprising percentage 10 to 30 percent who were like oh we don't own that like that's not ours <laughs> and he would be like no i have the record like he would yeah. say like i have yeah. the records that you do own it and he's like nope we got no record of that like they bought whatever in bankrupt like you know it's like buying a a, a company that makes like juice mixers and owns like nine uh, golf courses and also with the vacuum cleaner maker like they might not have even been purchasing what they thought of as the vacuum cleaner maker right so the patents and all the manufacturing processes are like in a file cabinet somewhere but they don't even think of it that's not important they did it for the golf courses and the the juicer and they sold the juicer off so like it's like that and so as a result a lot of these games are truly orphaned i think they're never going down personally yeah so what I mean, I'm I'm not a lawyer, and I know you're not either. But I am so not a lawyer. <laughs> but from from your experience in this, and and from I presume your your limited discussions about these these type of things with lawyers. Now, when a company disavows their legal ownership of a product, does that then place that product in the in the public domain or virtually in the in the public domain? Never. <laughs> never. Um, okay. Never. So the problem here is mm-hmm. if you look at like a lot of what goes on, a lot of it comes down. Okay. So I'm going to go here just because I can. Sure. When, when Alex Jones first falsely announced that YouTube was taking him down. So this was like, I don't know, like eight or nine months ago or something. He said, I've received a letter from YouTube. They're taking me down on Saturday. Your money will help us stay up or whatever and fight this. Mm. I had a bunch of do-gooders like, making duplications of Alex Jones's YouTube channel and uploading it to the archive. And I went out in public and said, please fucking stop doing this. And there were a certain group of people who were like, he has betrayed his very beliefs. And I'm like, no, Alex Jones is a commercial product. Mm. He's not a well-meaning dude trying to get the truth out. He is a commercial 
product that has advertising dollars and subscription yeah. models. He's a business. And this yeah. business has just cried wolf again. And boy, did it feel good to watch the wolf show up recently. But that was a commercial endeavor. Mm. So when you see these companies, or I should say these websites recently or have been in the news for being taken down, you'll find out, oh yeah, they had ad banners. And they're like, yeah, we're using it to pay our hosting. And it's like, yeah, but you're a business then. I'm sorry if you're a sucky business. Like there was a company that was a BBS in 1993, and they were putting up scanned pictures of Playboy. And so so Playboy sued them and won like a $800,000 judgment against them. Oh, that, but, was a, that was the husband and wife, right? No, a different one, but similar idea. Okay, got it. Yep. But, but the guy who had done this other one, I believe he had made like four or five million Oof. over the years on his subscription model. Yeah. But he had to pay an $800,000 fine. So, okay, that works. And that was before DMCA. Right. Um, DMCA made some things easier, some things more terrible, like all law. But yeah, but yeah, no, the, the Rusty and Edie was a whole other thing. Um, there's a rather zealous FBI in the late part of the 80s, early part of the 90s, where they're, they're trying to find their place in the cyber world and how are they going to utilize current law. Mm-hmm. Remember the, the, the Lamachia case of like 98. I mean, take no inference from the fact that I seem to intrinsically know every piracy-related <laughs> lawsuit of the last 30 years. But anyway, good at it, yeah. but the LaMaccia case was the first time that somebody was... They had two problems with LaMaccia. Uh, they couldn't prove LaMaccia was the handle that was providing the files. Mm. And they could not show that there was any monetary gain. So part of what the DMCA did was take away the necessity of showing monetary gain in an infringement case. So you could say, well, yeah, I didn't make any money. And they'd go, doesn't matter. You still infringed. That was the idea behind it. But what it really moved out to was the safe harbor clause part was too intense to make, like, you didn't make any money. Yeah, but I'm a platform. Okay. So Mm. one of the things that's been happening in recent years was... They want to go after places that have ads because they can prove, oh, they're making thousands of dollars off the sale of, you know, ads to people who are coming to get this product. Therefore, they're making money off the product. Therefore, they're a business. Therefore, stop the business. So the archive is a nonprofit and loses money Mm -hmm. or barely makes money. And so part of that is just because why be a big, deep target and just kind of function by the skin? And it is functionally a nonprofit. I'm like, if you want us to lose money, just keep browsing us. (laughs) <laughs> like, we're not going to make more money mm-hmm. the more you download. I will state somebody is running something that is playing sound in the background. That is... Uh, that would probably be my uh, my wife and my uh, daughter. Uh, talking. You have... Okay, you gotta... You gotta kill both of them. This is what the voice in your head... <laughs> I want you to be in the papers tomorrow that the last words you said before the incident were... Jason Scott told me to do it. it. God damn it, I'm podcasting with Jason Scott. Learn some respect. <laughs> well, we were just going to edit it out, but now we're going to have to leave it in. Now we have so to leave they, it in. So they know what the hell you're talking about. Holy crap. <laughs> uh, I have a very, 
very dark <laughs> sense of humor. Anyway, so, but here's the thing, right? So, yes. so functionally along that line, you know, we're currently in this weird minefield that a lot of our culture is both digital and subject to extremely arbitrary laws. Yeah. And so as a result, like, it's very hard to like maneuver in this space. And I understand that. And, and so we move along. People tell us when they think we've gone too far or that they don't agree with our outlook and we communicate with them and we're responsive. And you would be surprised how generally good they are because they go, hey, this is our thing. Okay, sorry. And it's also surprising the amount of things that are truly and utterly orphaned that have no advocate and nobody to speak for them that if we didn't have them up would be gone forever and utterly gone. Because once you, right, I mean, you can find some half-burned papers, but if you're disk drive goes to zero it's over like it doesn't mm-hmm. come back mm-hmm. and so uh i wish there was i mean you know people wring their hands over like all the functional aspects of digital preservation but you know getting it on the hard drives is just the first step that's something the professionals like to point out they're like digitization is not preservation mm-hmm. and it's true it's a bet uh, you're saying, I want this to be as fungible and transferable as possible, but I also want to depend on electricity and the goodwill of untold numbers of people. Yeah. And so it's always a strong balance. And so that's why I, that's part of what's baked into the archives ethics mm-hmm. is people get very annoyed because we put up, you know, an enormous amount of stuff and it feels very, poorly described but there's a lot of stuff yeah i mean poorly metadata or it's still rendering or something like that and our attitude is once it's up and it can be referenced like this yahoo dvd yeah its value can be perceived whereas if we keep it locked away until it's as nice as possible then people never see it they don't find it they don't know it exists i mean we just put up Somebody just uploaded like the full Furby source code. It's in I it. saw that. I what? saw that. Are you kidding me? And <laughs> That's cool. It's a 1998 printed document, and yep. and it's it's interesting. I mean, I don't know who will derive value from it, but <laughs> we'll have it up, and right. people I'm are sure looking at will. it. And uh, yeah, somebody just released a full disassembly of Galaxian. Like that's interesting. Mm-hmm. It kind of sells itself as a certain kind of Google juice, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. But if I had said. In our archives, you can come see our Google and our, our, our uh, Furby and Galaxian source code. I feel like it wouldn't have the same cachet, even if I perfectly described it in a record online, which is what a lot mm. of places do. Like, here's all the contents of the thing. You can't see it, but yeah. here it is. And similarly to like putting up scans that had been around on the internet. So I'm not doing these, but. You know, like 160,000 magazines of a computer nature and people being able to like look through them and be like, oh, here's this old ad. This proves that this game was available in November 1983 and it was sold for this amount of money. And this is how they sold it. I actually just the other day found uh, a scan for an ad of my very first family computer growing up. It was a, a 386. And, you know, I got to see the price and, and what it was going for in early 90s or late 80s or whatever it was. And, and it was, it was astounding. Time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, it helps to get the, you know, like, like uh, there's a rather great, what do you want to call it, a, a, an essay that I just read recently. I like, I like thoughtful essays, right? I like it yep. when somebody like really goes after it, right? And so it was talking about the dual narratives of Myst, the yeah. M-Y-S-T, the game. Yep. 
And its thesis is that there's a narrative that like mist comes out, it's a little boring, and then it fades away to the ultimate good idea of first person shooters that like Quake and Mist come out at about the same time. Actually, Doom and Mist come out the same time. Mm. And as a result, Mist kind of fades away and Quake becomes the, the template for the most dominant of video games. But it's not true. Mm. And this person kind of shows how both narratives kind of work. Like Quake does go on to a level of prominence and a level of inspiring these works. But Mist also becomes a genre of puzzle game and stuff that continues to this day. And this person did it by utilizing lots of citation of articles and writings in both directions, talking about it. And he wouldn't mm-hmm. have been able to do that if this material wasn't instantly available. I mean, you can exactly. buy or not buy into his thesis, but you wouldn't even be able to look it up yeah. without this material being instantly accessible and inherently valueless until somebody needs it. Like, you can't... Well, that's that's the nature of archival in, right, in general. That, that yeah. pitch is hard uh, sometimes. There's some things that by their nature, like if, if you go to a certain... Eh, but this is also important. There's been a sea change... And I say it's around 2007, where before that, institutions that consider computer-related material and history to be valid are considered extreme or Rococo or or boutique. Mm -hmm. And after 2007, I start seeing a lot more institutions saying, oh, we got to... We got to ramp this up. We got to mm-hmm. integrate with these folks. We got to talk. And, and the difference between like, no, of course we don't want an Apple II <laughs> to, we have to get all these <laughs> Apple IIs so we can produce a useful corpus. You can see it. You can see the difference. And so what's happening now, it's been, um, I mean, we all don't want to pretend that history keeps happening, but in the interim time between 2007 and now, now it's just assumed that digital history is as valid as any other. Mm. Like, if you're not doing that, there's something wrong with you. You missed the signal, the starting gun. You, 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 you screwed up. You're incompetent. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, you have to get going. And whether that's acquiring wholesale another collection, which is what some of them do, like they track down a dying computer museum or a collector and they're like, boom, we used to have zero floppy disks. Now we have, you know, 2000. Yeah. But, <laughs> but you know, wow. um, is this where I tell you that I have? Uh, okay, so so there's a term. Let's let's see you men control yourself. There's a term. <laughs> there's a there's a crate that is referred to as a gaylord. It is it is this uh, oh, got one. It is used as it's about the size of a baby crib. So it's like a pretty big box, and it's a very easy way to store a lot of material quickly. Like if you are going into an institution and they have five thousand books. The nice thing about a Gaylord is you can fill it up like a pen, put a lid on it. It stacks four or five high and you can use a forklift or uh, a, uh, you know, a, a lift to move it really quickly. So you can go into a place, fill up like 10 of these Gaylords and get them onto a truck, get out of there in like a, a weekend. It's like modular enclosed pallets, basically. Yeah, basically they're, they're, yeah, that's what they are. So we a lot of movie companies use them uh, for corporations because you can just, like you said, stack and go. So we have twenty of those of software wow. in the collection that I have. Okay, that's the Jason reached out to people collection, mm-hmm. and we have wow. another set of twenty five that I didn't have anything to do with. So 
it's fun because I'm watching people kind of wring their hands over, oh, you know, we should move on this software thing. And <laughs> so here's what happened. We have a couple collections that would, I guess, astound people that we got them, but we got them because we were the ones who said yes. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. weren't the ones who, did, who made it so hard to find our, our acquiring people. Yes. Like you get to me and someone will go like, I have a stack of whatever. And I'll be like, bring it in. Boom. Thank you. Yep. Whereas another place might go, well, we need a thesis statement as to why you think this is valuable. And the person like says, eh. so <laughs> around 2002, it's one of my favorite stories. Every time I tell people this story, they're like, I may sound like I'm hyping it, but I'm not. Somewhere around 2002, 2003, Brewster bumps into one of the people behind Macromedia, creators of Flash and director. Yep. Yep. Macromedia used to have a rule if you created a product with their engine, you had to send them a copy of the product. And people had huh. been doing this for years. And finally, Macromedia was like, what the fuck are we doing? Why do we have this? And they were talking to Brewster and they're like, hey, you have an archive you're building up. Would you like them all? And he was like, yeah, oh. sure. Oh, wow. So that's, mm. why we, that's why we have 25 pallets of every professional piece of software <laughs> created using Macromedia products. That's insane. Some of them, some of them have runs as little as two hundred or five hundred. So these are wow. extremely rare, often one of a kind software products. And so we're going to put them all up. Uh, I'm not sure when, but we will. Oh, yeah, yeah. You got to back eventually. Well, eventually. This will sound insane on its own, but it's kind of behind in line to the 78 RPM record collection. Like no, that's I, where I a lot of our that. focus is right now. That, yeah. And so Brewster really loves them. So we have put up 80,000 78 RPM records, but we're doing it like super careful with a custom four head tone arm, four tone mm. arm turntable that records using four different uh, needles because okay. it turns out oh, that's there's different needles that were used and they all have different sound quality. Oh, so so you, gotta, you don't know which one yeah. you're supposed to be using. Well, I mean, if you can do all four at once, you know. That's exactly <laughs> but, what they do. Yeah. And then yeah. the technician puts in the metadata from the record. They scan mm-hmm. the label. And then they the, the uh, tech kind of makes an on-the-site call that like, oh, track number two is the good one. Mm-hmm. So the others will be available. Like you can look at the others and you can listen to the others. But, but they won't be promoted. Yeah, as, that'll be the promoted yeah. one. Like if you were to click on it, it would go, here's the song. Yep. And we've done 80,000 of them and we are aiming to do a quarter million. We're doing like dozens and dozens a day. I think like a hundred a day. And so, um, we're continuing this like long journey into night with these 78 RPM records. So the set, so the software is currently not in line for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also know we're going to uptick our book scanning. Right now we're at 200,000 books a year and the boss is like, chop, chop. So we are going to actually do a million a year is our plan. <sighs> wow. Do you do any OCR on that or is it yeah, just Yeah, we OCR image? at all. Okay. No, it's all OCR'd. And we have, cool. a, we have a full text search we added last October. Oh, wow. That has made everything extremely valuable. You guys are kicking ass. Oh, if you hear about us. It's devastatingly crazy, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I want all of our listeners to donate to the Internet Archive because, like, I, I, I talk about this a lot, but you guys consistently always impress me with the amount of work that you put into your Wait, I have your collection. a... Yes. Oh, well, uh, a technical question, if you can share. Good. I hope it's good. I hope it's a good one. I mean, my, <laughs> my favorite... 
I mean, let's, I mean, the, the, the standard first question I get is, why are you not in jail? Which is, you know, what I'm used to. <laughs> no, like, I would wh- say, why are you why not in debt? Why aren't but... you in Gitmo? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm a storage engineer for what it's worth. I'm just curious about, sure. you mentioned sort of having close to 20 petabytes or something like that. 50, I believe it was. 50? 50, 50, okay. Excuse me. Um, 20 petabytes was a few years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, wh- like, where do you actually keep that and, like, who uh, who designed the systems? Are they appliances, like commercial appliances? Are they, uh, yeah, just storage in general? Sure. Well, that's, that's a good nerdy question. All right, so. <laughs> Leave it to Jason so, to bring in the lame stuff. Well, no, Ooh. it's not lame. It's interesting how we choose it. The most shocking thing to people is how we insist on everything essentially being in-house. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, mostly because we break every hosting agreement you could ever imagine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. I believe it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't even think about that, but yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. You know, uh, we got lots. Of, I mean, I could sit here and say stuff that would like literally make you put down the microphone and look out the window and watch your kids playing and going <laughs> like, how, how will I raise them in this world? Yeah. But, but, you know, that's the nature of being an open access thing. Um, well, as a result, like we, we, we can't deal with these hosting companies who are like this. Like I was declared, I was declared some sort of I, not the archive. Let's be clear. I. Yes had textfiles.com declared a terrorist site <laughs> in, in, in Australia. I got a great, oh, I love it. I got a oh, great wow. email from their counterterrorism force. Oh, I've gotten emails from them, yeah. Telling me I'm awful. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. I'm like, okay, all right. Now, I happen to have a really great relationship with my host. Like, mm-hmm. he's really amazing. Mark, uh, TQ hosting, um, top quality hosting. Like, we had a case where he had his IP um, space dead. Oh, I don't know what the term is for the networking. His host turned it off because of me. So that's either... Blacklisted? No, that's either going to be like a null routing or it's going to be a total deallocation. Yeah, it was something like that. So they basically did a null route. And said, oh. you can't, you can't stay up. You cannot be up while you have this guy, this textfiles.com guy. Wow. Now he could have chucked me out and I would have been fine with it. I'm like a porn store that's constantly moving into town. <laughs> I, I totally get it. Right. Uh-huh. What he said was, I need you to be down for a week. And I went, okay. And so I was down for a week and then he brought me back up again in my own, uh, IP space that was routed a different way that didn't go through that host. Nice. And I've been there ever since. Wow. And so when people complain now, it goes to him. He's the only guy it goes to. And, you know, and he gives me a very, you know, it's an incredible deal for what, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, you're paying blank per three months. Like I'm paying whatever it is, like a few hundred bucks a month or whatever to host textfiles.com. And people are like, oh, you know, you could host it for 50 bucks at blank. And I'm like, (laughs) nope. Not anymore. I can't. Nope. Not for, I mean, sure, (laughs) I can host it at cheap ass systems. For what three weeks before someone goes? I notice you have a very terrible file about how to kill people, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> yeah, and 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 I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. people said stupid shit in the '80s. Here's the proof. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, so then you know they come to me and say you can't, you can't do this, and and so I really respect that. So maybe mm. someday he'll say, hey, you got to move on, but I know he'll do it respectfully and with warning he'll just say look it's got to come to an end he'll give me time and i'll find a new host so i get it right like i uh, like you 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 reward loyalty like that and and so that's the host i have well the archive has hosts way up on the top tier 
who mm. we peer with, who they don't care what people yell at us about. And, you know, we get letters all the time from people telling us we should not exist. And <laughs> right. I mean, I get it. I get that. And, um, you know, these, these peering systems are up there and we have a multiple set of those. Physically, we are in two or three locations. Both of them are in California. Mm-hmm. We have a third partial mirror in, of all places, I shit you not, uh, the Library of Alexandria in Egypt. <laughs> wow. Because okay. we thought that are was, yeah, because we thought that'd be awesome. So, like, they have, That's like, cool. the early archive mirror up to, like, 1988, I'm sorry, 2008 cool. or something. And we have a partial mirror in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. And we may or may not have a secret mirror in Canada now. Um, I mean, okay. I literally don't know. I know we're right. supposed to. I have right. no idea. And um, so people are like, what if there's an earthquake? And I'm like, oh, it'll be terrible. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the machines themselves, the, the petabyte racks, as they're called, yeah. um, they're a rack about, there are 19 inch racks with this system that we use, whose name I'm now forgetting and I feel bad, but they're, they're a vendor who has been like, really behind us like we'll suddenly be like oh my god you know uh, there's been a bug and we need to like get replacement parts or whatever mm-hmm. and they'll like drive over overnight like oh, to bring cool. us new ones so these are like pretty commodity linux boxes running ubuntu and each machine has a little like five or six or nine discs in the front and like six or seven on the back it's one of those like dual yep. side and we standardized on, I think we were standardizing on six terabytes of disk, but it may be eight now. Okay. And SSD hasn't proven itself yet. We have a yeah. couple that were kind of like, nobody knows disk prices better than Brewster. So he kind of watches it. And it's, it's interesting to me, like how much he knows about that. There's things he knows nothing about. And I always find it amusing. Like one of my favorite things that happened was when I put up the Internet Arcade, before I announced it, I knew there'd be some, probably some, com- some kerfuffles. So I said to my coworkers, hey, coworkers, just did this crazy goddamn thing. How many of you have games from your past that you want to play again? Because I'll make sure to get those up. You can try them out. Isn't that fun? Brewster mm-hmm. didn't have any. He, like, missed the arcade stuff. <laughs> like, he just didn't do it. Like, by the time <laughs> arcades are super taking off, He's in the AI lab at MIT, uh, working on what will eventually become Thinking Machines Corporation. Like, he doesn't really remember any video games, but there was, like, one game that was in the basement of his dorm. So, he has, like, the vaguest of memories of that. But So, when I put all this crap up, and it gets crazy press, he's like, huh, I guess these are pretty big to people. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah. And ever since then, he's been very trusting, like, uh, I'm like, trust me, people will be happy about the fact that we have 10,000 hip-hop mixtapes up. And he'll be mm-hmm. like, okay. When I said, we're putting up three years of Kmart announcement tapes. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And suddenly NPR is knocking on the door. And, and it's like that. So a lot of times mm-hmm. I'll be like, trust me, like... Here's a Playboy Bunny operations manual from like 1975 from the oh Chicago God. Playboy Club. That's and crazy. I'm like, just point that out to people and it'll like get instant address. Yeah. And when no I kidding. put up 
like hundreds of AOL CDs. Like <laughs> that infuriated people. Cause they were like, how worthless. Like like a lot of professional archivists, I found the subtweeting. It's very yeah. hard. I'm pretty good at finding the subtweeting about me. Sure. And sure. people are like, Jesus Christ, what a worthless thing this guy is doing. We're over we're saving real things and he's putting that up. Did you at least store like delta of those or or is it just entire images for each version? Entire images. What are you oh talking about? Oh my gosh, Jason. <laughs> What do you? That, that hurts. Do you, the duplication. It hurts. I'm you, sorry. You would be surprised because obviously you are to know that there's actually a lot of delta. Mm-hmm. They constantly shifted what was on them and what was no attached kidding. and yeah. and the the pack in programs and the drivers and the affiliate programs. Like here's some video games on this one. Here's how to make oh it work for God. a Sears. Uh, outlet. Uh, here's one that Jeez. has a front door with this sponsor. Oh no, no, no! There's a. There are five. There are known to be five thousand one hundred variations of AOL CDs from nineteen ninety four uh, three to t- nineteen ninety nine. Sounds right. Oh um, AOL CDs are stick with me here. Half yeah. of all CDs manufactured. Uh, that sounds about right. Period. I mean, Period. I, I believe it. It's wow. just, and it's, it's astounding to try and wrap your head around that. So to not think that having a canonical collection. Sure, sure. See, it's like once you walk it through, you're like, yeah, of course, half of all of a medium. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. so people like, you know, like, and so it's fun to watch people be like, and, and, and of course, I would hope. I mean, I'm all for storing them. I'm just, I am, I'm disheartened that it, Needs to. I'm, I'm disheartened at the technical aspect of it needing so much space. That's what I'm disheartened at. What's so much space to you? This is where it's funny. Well, because because people <laughs> because are like, how much space do you have? And I'm like, no, no, enough. No. Yeah, enough. <laughs> Obviously, my staging server, the Fortress of Solitude. It's, a, yes. it's an Ubuntu box that does a lot yep. of my work. It has 14 terabytes of disk space. It's a holding bay. Like, it's right. basically... Yeah. No, I, I know you do that for, like, Isley. processing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And all it does is, like, get... Someone will be like, I don't know what to do. I have all these digitized PDFs of these internal documents about how this arcade company worked. <laughs> and I'll be like, really? How, how big is it? We'll Tell me them. about that. Yeah. And the guy's like, well, it's like four or five gigabytes of PDFs. <laughs> You're like... Psh. And I'll be like, man. I uploaded five gigabytes by mistake yesterday. <laughs> I, go ahead. Oops, bring right. it on. And, right. and worst of all, here, I'll make your life even worse. Remember, we generate derivatives for everything. Yeah. <laughs> so we yeah. make an EPUB. Like, if you upload a, a wave or a flack, we'll make an MP3 and an AUG out of and it, along AUG, with yeah. generating a waveform. That's for cool. the PDF, yeah. we'll generate an OCR text document. We'll generate a, D, a, D, a DIJV or DJVU. We'll uh, generate an EPUB, a MOBI. Probably wow. a, a ghost convert to ghost script wow. probably at one point. Yeah. 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 You guys, you guys definitely make it. Try you to upload make a movie. We'll make an MP4 of it. We'll make a uh, AUGV, which nobody uses. <laughs> You know, like, we will do... We don't care. Yeah. Uh, in the event, we have a system built in. Uh, I'm trying to stay technical. We have an mm-hmm. XML that gives you a inventory, and it demarcates between an original and a derivative. Okay. So, in a disaster, only the originals will be pulled away. Makes sense, yeah. But, um, so we do have that way of saying we can keep track of that. 
But we we had 17 terabytes of data a day. That was the last number I had. Jeez. No, That's okay. Let me let me let me clarify my criticism. So get it's fucking nothing. reading, buddy. <laughs> it's Open up your browser. You guys. Better start no. reading. You're behind. You're assigned. Yeah, I know. I know. It, so, so my my issue with that wasn't with you. It was with AOL. Like, why did you need five thousand and one or five thousand one hundred different iterations of a product? Because they encountered incredible burnout. Yeah, they had to do constant yeah. A/B testing. Some of them look like true. anime movies. Some of them look like <laughs> professional grade. That's I found true. one where it's almost the same data, and one says that forty hours free are included. The other one says thirty hours included, and has a sticker that says ten hours free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah, I've, yeah, that's nuts. Um, there are ones that are in. There's one that I love. It's in a case that I. It feels like it's in like the case is like a um really thick manufactured either wood or plastic. Oh wow! So it weighs a lot more. Mm. So it feels almost like an electronics component before you open it up and see it's a CD case. Like it's designed for you to go, whoa, what's this thing? Oh, wow. Like they're using everything from graphics to tactile to convince you that you need to open this again. You need to use AOL. And you can actually see across time through the ones we've digitized already where it starts saying things like, come back, we've changed. Like they're they're literally addressing Mm -hmm. the understanding that AOL is now a joke and a burnout and to get people back into their system. So there's a history there. Like, look, if I, if I, you know, run my nugget for another 20 <laughs> seconds. I bet you I can come up with stuff that's up there where you'd be like, Jesus Christ, man. Like no, stuff- I, I know you. I'm sh- absolutely. I have no doubt oh, you guys have here's stuff a good that one. Me- here's a good one. So yes. there's a site called factstoy.com. A friend of mine runs. And factstoy is okay. meant for you to test your faxes and more importantly, your. Um, your fax modem thing. Like, if you find you People have to... still use faxes? Well, yeah. they, lawyers yeah. tend... Do you not know anyone in the government, Peyton? Lawyers... <laughs> lawyers... I'm sure lawyers do. Um, and, and, and law, yeah. And uh, pharmacies mm-hmm. and other medical places because all of the laws want that printed record. And faxes are very yep. easy because of the way they work. Like, you don't have to constantly fill the toner because it's generated by the fax. Mm-hmm. So, so people have to test them. So, fax toy, if you go to it, gives you a phone number. If you use the phone number, it then puts the fax up that you sent. Mm-hmm. And it's been doing it for 12 years. Oof, that's cool. So, he gave me 210,000 faxes and I put them all up. <laughs> wow. So they're all up, buddy. Two th- nice. 210,000 faxes. And they are oh my gosh. heinous. There are heinous faxes in there. Just truly terrible I, things. I believe it. Um, so that's a good one. That, that Detrius. Um, <laughs> what's another one that's like really, like, why, like, just thank you, humanity. Why are you doing this to me? Now, before, before you dig into this, because I know we, we can spend a lot of time on this because you guys have some we weird stuff. I, I warned weird you. Stuff. I no, warned I you. <laughs> I love oh, weird stuff. To go back, by the way, just to say, yes. so the reason I, so I made, I mentioned how Brewster doesn't know what to me are basic fundamental cultural things because we're, we're 10 years apart in, in, in right. uh, age, but he really knows about storage technology. So, so like people will say, well, why don't you just host with Glacier? And we're like, oh, because it costs this amount to put the petabytes in, but it would literally cost tens of millions to pull it out. Yeah, yep. right. Like, yep. cause we actually, you know, researched it. And there was this great case where there was the Thailand um, typhoon that knocked out, I think it was like 70% or 60% of all hard drives. Manufacturers, yeah. So our hard drive guy said to us, 
oh, these drives that you normally pay $80 in bulk for, uh, it's going to be 300 and I really can't guarantee any. And so we were in a panic because at the time we fixed this, but at the time we were losing, eh, I don't know, like 25 hard drives a week. So we, wow. we knew we would run out soon. Yeah. Losing to failure or losing to increased need? Failure. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I can relate to that. So we had a, we had a nightmare scenario internally that's still legendary, where like there was this like this one Seagate model that just died, and were it they died. Barracudas, three terabyte fucking Barracuda drives. Yeah, the ones that were writing but weren't really writing. Mm. Oh no! Like they were. <laughs> I hate they when were, that happens. There was a fundamental like poison in dog food level problem with them. But yeah, we, we got yeah. over it. We got over it. We came up with systems. Uh, w- anyway, so we had a problem. Right? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? So we did some research and we discovered that again, we're being told $300 a drive. And we discovered that the local Costco's had external uh, Mac stores that they were selling for 120 for the same number. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we went out and bought all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we went to like 10 different Costco's uh-huh. and bought all their drives. With a credit card, which made our head admin, our manager, our, our office manager, <laughs> the customer of the month <laughs> at Costco. <clears throat> and then we shucked them. Like we pulled <sighs> nice. the drives out and shoved them yep. into the cases and put them in. That's now, cool. We saved money. We saved more than 50%. But we had a problem now. We had like 700. A shit ton of enclosures. Yeah, yeah. So we had them piled in a corner for like a month or two while we figured out what to do with them. <laughs> and w- what we ended up doing, by the way, was like donating them to a bunch of hacker spaces and places uh, like, cool. here, here's, you know, you guys need a hundred USB containers. Here you go. Um, nice. We just donated them. But there was this thing where somebody who was a fan of mine came and took these photos of me and he had a very large following. And it was like, here's Jason Scott. Here's the weird building they do. And in the background were these cases. <laughs> So there were these people going like, Jesus Christ, no wonder you guys are out of money because all you do is buy the externals. <laughs> you know, Jesus, Jesus Christ, you know, you can buy an internal from Newegg. And I'm like, yeah, motherfucker, go ahead and take your fucking platinum card, go to Newegg right now, and go try to buy these drives because guess what? Thailand is offline. <laughs> and, but that was the thing. Like, we made a choice that was an yeah. informed choice, but the internet... As cynical as people say it, and then it feels like they're being exaggerating, it truly is full of people who do a 15-second read on a situation and talk to people like mm-hmm. they the, they have also done a 15-second read yeah. on the conversation. Yep. Huh. There's... I see you think that there's a problem with not, you know, putting women on panels. Well, I've thought about it for 15 seconds. Here's 15 thoughts, one per second. And the person's mm-hmm. like, well, actually, here's a report. Pff, your report. You probably spent <laughs> 15 seconds on that 400-page report with <laughs> 200 sites. You know, like, you see that mm-hmm. for everything. Like, mm, hard drives. Oh, did I mention I have my hard drive expertise, Fedora? One moment. And... <laughs> And, and so you get a lot of that. And mm. Brewster really cares about that. He cares about storage and keeping things running and making sacrifices or choices. You know, we tend to keep one mirror. We, we recently, it was only a few years ago 
Um, I mean, we don't crow about this, but mm. a few years ago, we didn't have much of a way to keep track of the history of an object. If you deleted the item or deleted it things, it was gone because that's what we do. It's petabytes. Wow. Yep. But now we do kind of. So, like, we made that change. We we made it that the metadata history is kept and we do log the tasks. Like, over time, we've made these choices as opposed to... In 1999, inventing some massive $100 million a year mega system designed to be future-proof and utterly not, <clears throat> that would ultimately screw us over. We've, we've, we've evolved and we do this. So on a pure system administration level, we're constantly refining and we're constantly making weird decisions. And also, and here's the other thing that's great about Brewster as a manager, um, which again, for your system administrators, especially if they <laughs> right. go into management, I think is really appreciative. Here's, mm -hmm. I think, Brewster's magic formula. He's got his picadillos, the things that enrages him, the things he hyper-focuses on. He can be a micromanager if he wants to. But one of the things he fundamentally believes in is if you think this is good, or important to do, and it doesn't damage or hurt the archive, go ahead and do it, and let's see what comes of it. And cool. you would be surprised how minimal that is in the world. I think it helped prevent burnout in, in staff. I know when I have rain to actually do fun stuff, I'm like, yeah, I'm all about it. Let's get to work. Well, it's you not know, just so. that, but, you know, sometimes it actually produces a pretty good result. And you're like, oh, shit, I didn't ever yeah. fucking see this coming. But here it is. Yeah. It, it has no, that's exactly how you get AWS. That's how you get uh, exactly. Post-it notes. That's how you get um, Google Code, even. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, all right. sorts of stuff. Yeah. Brewster has always fundamentally done that. And he is always fundamentally kind of ascribed to ask questions that make him seem insane, but allow his staff to immediately push back. So like every once in a while, and he has done this, he'll go, is there a class of data we only need one copy of? Mm -hmm. Like, which sounds like a total betrayal of the archive, whatever, but it's like, well, maybe, I mean, maybe there's stuff that we've classified as spam mm -hmm. and it's, it's been very much classified as garbage. We're still keeping it. It's X numbers of terabytes. Maybe we should put it into a graveyard of like, eh, it's up, but if it dies, you know, who a cares? drive at a time, who cares? Yeah. But we've mostly said, no, let's not do that. And he goes, okay, like, that's it. That's the conversation. Mm. But, but he's always asking that fundamental. Like, do we need to be doing this? Why are we doing this? What's going mm. on here? Can we, can we justify this anymore? And his people do, and we move on. And both of those, I think, are what really have kept the archive. When he hired me, it was like, our old software is hard to access. And I went, hip hop, video games, rave flyers, Kmart, AOL CDs, <laughs> Vaporwave. And he's like, okay, okay, I guess that too. Right. All right. Anyway, cool. so that's, 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 that's that little rant. I'm sure it, it sounds like it we sounds have like hit someone the we would love to have on, uh, as well. Yeah. We, we do need to wrap this up. Um, I am. I need to turn my AC back on, so I'm baking right now. But is um, that the motivation here? A little bit. <laughs> it's like twenty percent, maybe. <laughs> it's like it's like you have a it's like you have an audience with the Pope, but you really gotta really gotta have a dump. Yeah, exactly. You're exactly like, oh, like oh, that, oh, Father. I, <laughs> okay, I, I totally. I want to do this, but you know, uh, uh, priorities. I'm drinking twenty uh, priorities. No, I get that. Now, ten seconds. What is your most favorite thing you've encountered in your personal collection that you that you curate? 
Textfiles.com. Textfiles.com, there's a file called To All Who Dare, The Black Box, and it's from 1979-1980. It was passed around on the very earliest of bulletin boards, and it it describes a black box, which was the name for a circuit. Uh, to very quickly say, when you uh, used to call a phone, it would send voltage down the line <laughs> at a certain rate <laughs> yep, I remember to indicate it was ringing. Yes. And then when you picked up the phone, it would drop down to 10 volts. And that's when the billing system would say, oh, the call has begun and start billing you. But this black box would keep it jammed up at 25. Mm-hmm. And so your phone would ring. Like you would keep <laughs> hearing the ring while you were talking, mm-hmm. but you could talk over it. And so you got free phone calls. And the file to describe the circuit, which is a relatively simple circuit, though, is written in such a beautiful, adventurous, like, are you ready for this <laughs> forbidden knowledge? Right. Are you ready for the world this is going to open up? Do this and you will know something Wonderful. that the rest of the world doesn't know. And that is the spirit of text files that has always, always been what kept me interested in them and why I downloaded so many of them. It's a fundamental spirit at the beginning of conspiracy, delight, and mischief that I think is just fundamental to the joy of these things. It's the quintessential textfiles.com file. Exactly. Got it. Cool. So, cool. so this has been Sysadminist Trivia. Uh, I'm Brent. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Pete. And with us, we have had... Jason Scott. Thank you so much. The last voice you're ever going to hear, if you let me... thank you so much for being on Uh, we've had fun Uh, we will see you all later yeah our our episode is a little bit different obviously we didn't have time for a baddie because we wanted to let Jason talk he has has a lot of really interesting stuff to talk about so hopefully we'll have have you back on again at at a different date when you're really running low, <laughs> just pull me in. <laughs> pull me back go. in. There you go. All right. We'll, we'll see you around. Bye. <laughs>